0: Certainly an occasion for great joy. This Sunday might be that, too, because we're finally moving on to our next verse. So please open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 26 through 27. I want to begin by reading from verse 25 down to verse 32. Paul writes, Therefore, Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We have spent a few weeks away from our text, and of course, the reason was that we might shine more light on the idea of speaking the truth in love to one another within the body of Christ. And so we come back now to consider Paul's next command be angry, do not sin. You will remember that just a few verses earlier, Paul had exhorted the Ephesians to put off the old life, that old life of sin. And the reason was so that they might put on the new, which he says is being made in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness in the truth. No longer then are we to be like children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, but rather, Paul says, speak the truth in love so that we might achieve our purpose, grow up into Christ who is our head. No longer are they to walk as Gentiles. Gentiles are callous, they're hardened, they're given over to sensuality and greed and impurity. These types of things, these behaviors, these attitudes, Paul says, you have not learned from Christ. That verb, that, in the Greek that is, the Greek tense of learn from Christ, it has the idea of continual learning. And so Christ is continually teaching, and the question is, are you continually learning from Christ? And if you are, all these things will be laid aside, put off, and in their place, you will put on the truth of Christ. In order that truth might reign both inwardly and outwardly in the church. So Paul has given us this general principle, put off, put on, in verses one through twenty-four of Ephesians four. And now the Apostle Paul moves on in a much more pointed, specific direction, in order that his readers might not excuse themselves from the implications and applications of what he is trying to. To teach them. And so then, as we move on to our next command, verses 26 and 27, we remember Paul's aim was holiness in the church, holiness in each life of his readers. And yet, as important as that concern is, we would be remiss if we forgot that behind this concern is also a more immediate practical concern, which laid in Paul's heart behind his writing, and it is a concern for love, and unity in the church. Yes, avoid sin. Put it off because it's wrong before the Lord. Yes, avoid sin because it is no longer in keeping with your new nature. It doesn't match. But also, avoid sin because it breaks the fellowship we have together. In Paul's mind, you cannot divorce... A concern for unity and holiness. The two are tied together. Sin breaks fellowship. Holiness always promotes it. And from this we learn that any man or woman who truly desires to do what Paul has commanded, which is to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, will also Alongside of that desire, have this desire running with it, and that is a desire for personal holiness in his own life and also in the life of those surrounding him. Holiness before the Lord. Unity is a gift from the Spirit, freely given, but we must not forget that that Spirit is called holy. He is the Holy Spirit. And so, moving on more specifically, Paul has said, put away falsehood, lies, deception, and all must go. To speak them is not only to sin against the Holy Spirit and to grieve him, but also it is to work against him, to break the gift he has given. Every lie spoken in the body introduces a kind of disease, which if left untreated by the truth will eventually break down the unity he has given. Paul says, don't do that. That's the negative. Don't lie. The positive is the cure. Speak the truth. Speak the truth to your neighbor. To lie is to break fellowship. To tell the truth is to promote it. Put off lying. Put on truth. A positive and a negative. And then there's a reason behind it all. A theological foundation. For, Paul writes, we are members of one another. Do not forget The Holy Spirit himself has joined us together. He's made us one. And so we speak the truth. And then as we move on, what I want you to see is the same pattern is followed. And turning to the subject of anger in verses 26 and 27, you will note Paul is following the same pattern. A positive, a negative, a put on, a put off, and also a rationale for the instruction. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry, that's the positive, and do not sin, the negative, do not let the sun go down on your anger, another negative, which essentially stresses the same thing. In verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil, that's the reason, that's the rationale. It's a very simple verse with profound implications. Two headings to help us see the importance of putting on righteous anger in the body of Christ and putting off all sinful anger within the body in order that we might not give a place to the devil. The first is this. Be angry. Be angry. Two words. One word in Greek. Be angry. A simple command. Which, if translated literally, means this. Be angry. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not miss the mark. Now obviously this is a command that must be handled with the utmost care. With the greatest respect for what God has written. Human anger is like a fire which must be kept in its Proper place, or else it will quickly burn down the entire house. The house it once warmed. And thus, in God's church, anger, righteous anger, must be kept under the control of the Holy Spirit. Or else it will, guaranteed, bring destruction to the one place on earth that God has chosen to dwell. His house, Paul says, We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Be angry, but do not sin. Now, for several reasons that I'm not going to get into here, I want you to know this phrase, be angry and do not sin, is actually a phrase that has caused a little more than just a little bit of debate amongst the commentators and Greek grammarians. And so, I got out my old Greek textbook, Dusted it off. I just wanted to make sure I understood it correctly, and here's what I found. Both imperatives, he says, be angry and do not sin, should be taken at face value. A simple command and a simple prohibition. Be angry and do not sin. Now, there's a lot more to his argument, but that is his conclusion. And obviously, if you look down at your Bible, you will see your translation most likely reflects that. Be angry and do not sin. So why do I bring it to you? Well, I wouldn't have brought it to you, except for the fact that he gives what I think is an interesting insight regarding one of the reasons he came to this conclusion. Daniel Wallace, the Greek grammarian, writes this, what supports this interpretation, among other things, is the rest of the verse. Do not let the sun go down on your cause of anger. Which, in this context, seems to imply that the believing community, the church, should give no place to the devil by doing nothing about sin in their midst. Therefore, the text seems to be a kind of shorthand expression for church discipline. Suggesting that there is indeed biblical warrant for righteous anger in the church as long as it is handled with great care and according to the process as laid out in God's word. So there you go. For those who felt I was way off in Looney land on a detour last week, I have at least one Greek grammarian who agrees it was worth it. Be angry. Do not sin. Now this would make sense. God's people ought to be angry at sin. God's people ought to be willing To direct their anger according to God's word. And if there is sin in the church, church discipline provides the process which we must follow. And yet, how careful must we be to make sure our anger, righteous anger against sin, is not allowed to become unrighteous anger against the one who has sinned. Whether that sin was against you or someone else. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, gets it right when he says this, If we would be angry and not sin, we must be angry at nothing but sin. Many places you could go to support this. I'll give you two. Psalm 97.10 O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Romans 12.9, Paul says, Let love be genuine, real intense, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. In other words, there is a kind of intense anger, an abhorring anger, which still loves genuinely the sinning brother, which still holds fast to what is good. And what is good, it is revealed in the word of God. Here we have a true statement. As a people of God, we are to hate, abhor evil, be angry, but we must not sin. Uh, We ought to all pause here for just a moment and consider the importance of righteous anger in the church. The importance of the kind of anger which intensely hates, yes, but also intensely loves. Why is it that our fireplaces are lined with brick? It is because they will not burn. It is listed in the building code as non-combustible. And so it is with love, non-combustible. And so if you find that you are angry at sin, make sure you have lined your heart with love for the one who has committed the sin. For love has been rated by the master builder himself as non-combustible. It keeps it in its rightful place. Everyone within the church must line their heart with God's love. Love is the only attitude powerful enough to keep your anger against sin under the control of the Holy Spirit. So that the outward expression of that anger remains filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I got out of order there. That's okay. What does this look like? Righteous anger. It's a loving anger. It's a joy-filled anger. A peaceful anger. It's an anger that is patient. An anger that is kind. It's always good. It's a faithful anger, a gentle anger, and always self-controlled. Be angry. Do not sin. So is your anger, which may be right and appropriate, does it remain under the control of the Holy Spirit? Is it under the control of the Holy Spirit or is it under the control of an evil spirit which would take that anger and use it to cause hurt and pain and burn others in the church? Is your anger in the fireplace of love or has it found its way out of that fireplace by way of the devil? Is it being used to burn away sin in your own life and in the church? Or is it being used to burn your brothers and sisters in Christ? It was never intended to be used like that. There must be anger in the church. This is right. This is appropriate. And actually, this means there is life. If there's no anger in the church when there is sin, the question is, are we really alive? Do we really love God and others? Read John's description of the seven churches in Revelation and you will see that those churches that are the closest to being dead and lifeless are also completely indifferent to sin. I have this against you, says the Lord. You allow some to hold the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. you are indifferent to sin. Also, Revelation 2.20, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. It doesn't even bother you. Where is your righteous anger? So then, if you have a church that is filled with sin, and there is no anger, no righteous anger, the question is, is that church alive? Can it be said, That here you have a church that truly loves Christ, that truly loves His bride, and yet there's no hatred for what would seek to destroy her? It cannot be. If we love the Lord, if we love His bride, there is anger. And it is appropriate, and it is right, but it must remain under the control of the Holy Spirit. Always directed in the way the Lord whom we love has commanded. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Be angry, Paul says. This is right. Our first command. The second is also equally simple yet profound. Do not sin. First was be angry. The second, do not sin. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Paul's essentially saying is we ought to abhor all evil. This is what the devil uses to steal, to kill, and destroy. But we must not allow that hatred to run out from under the control of the Holy Spirit or else your anger, which at one time was directed rightly, will be redirected, not by the Holy Spirit, by Satan himself, and you will become an instrument in his hand to bring about destruction. So then if there is sin in the church, here's the command. Be angry, be very angry, for you know that ancient serpent is at work, but never, never fight this war with the devil's weapons scenario. Someone in the church sins against you. You or someone else that you love. As a result, you are righteously angry. This is right. Be angry. But as time goes on, you forget the command. Do not sin. Yes, be angry. This is right. This is appropriate. But in your anger, do not sin. Why? Because to do so is to give the devil the keys to the car. And he will gladly drive you into all kinds of enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Sinful anger in the church is just one car wreck after another. A 30 car pile up, maybe more, just waiting to happen. The kind of wreck that leaves people hurt, confused, disoriented, tribal. The kind of wreck that shuts down the whole highway, the whole operation. Causes every unbeliever who once thought of possibly driving towards the church to instead turn around and to wag their heads at the church I'll look for another way. May even cause a believer leave. Sinful anger always creates a Galatians 5:15 kind of situation. It is guaranteed. but, writes Paul, if you bite and devour you know what that is? He's just describing sinful anger. if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Here's the situation or potentially there was righteous anger but it has gotten out of control and it, as it is now out of control the body is literally eating itself watch out paul says david says don't sin in your anger or paul does don't bite one another don't devour don't consume one another be angry and do not sin and then he adds this do not let the sun go down on your anger in other words If you are angry with your brother, go make it right. Go to him. Seek him out. Confess your anger. Be reconciled. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because if you do, it may settle into a kind of hatred, an unrighteous anger, even a desire for vengeance. These things have no place in the church. Jesus agrees with this. The same sentiment is given by Jesus in Matthew 5. Turn there for just a moment with me. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, speaking to the disciples and all those who are there, speaks of anger in a very pointed way. He says in Matthew 5, 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Of course, that is true. Verse 22, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What does he say then? What shall we do? So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you suddenly remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Leave it right there before the altar, and this is one of Jesus' favorite words, go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is an interesting verse. Jesus, you're pointing the gun at the wrong person. He's the one accusing. He's the one angry. Why are you pointing it at me? Why am I in danger? He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to those right before him. Here's the situation. How shall I fix it? You, go. Love, obey, go. Reconcile. Come to terms quickly. And if you want a shortened version of all of this, it's this. If your brother has something against you, be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Go make it right. MacArthur Study Bible says this here. Jesus calls for reconciliation to be sought eagerly, aggressively, and quickly. Even if it involves self-sacrifice. Go make it right. Even if you feel you have been wrong. Come to terms quickly. Make this your top priority. How much of a priority is this to be? Well, Jesus says, if you are at the temple, that's a pretty important place to be, and you are offering a sacrifice, that's a pretty important thing to do, and you remember your brother has something against you, stop. No more of this. Go quickly make it right. Same principle in Ephesians 4.26, if you are angry with your brother and you are about to go to bed, stop. Get up, get out of bed, Go make it right it's that important listen there are not too many things in my life more important than sleep in church and jesus says here's one reconciliation dealing with your anger rightly don't appease your anger with sleep don't try to appease it with church this is not obedience to what God has commanded. Sleep will not restore you to the Lord and your brother. Church won't either. Obey. Stop. Go. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Make it right. You say, I would make it right, but they need to come to me. I'm here. I'm waiting. He started it. You be the one to end it. That's a glorious finish, is it not? You're both on this race of anger. Finish rightly. What will happen if we don't? Paul answers that question in verse 27. You will give an opportunity to the devil. Give a place to the devil, literally. If you choose to deal with your anger by avoiding it, nursing it, allowing it to grow, if you allow the sun to go down on such things, not dealing with it in the way God's son has commanded, not putting it as a top priority, you've just invited the devil to take part. Literally, You've given a place to the devil. Next time you're in a conflict, there's anger going on. Maybe it's a fight that you're in. It's getting a little heated. Just pause for a second and just say, listen, do you care if I pull up this chair right here? Well, who's it for? It's for the devil. Who invited him? We both did. Maybe don't do that in the next heated argument you're having with your wife. But you can think that, and then you can seek to bring it in the right direction. Now I haven't mentioned yet, but this little phrase that Paul uses, be angry and do not sin, is actually a quotation from Psalm 4. And I want you to go there for a moment because there's so much helpful truth in here. It's or is how we control our anger or repent of our anger. It's just eight verses. I want to read them all to you and then quickly go through the middle of it. To the choir master, Psalm 4, with stringed instrument, a psalm of David. David writes, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's praying, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry. Do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your bed. and Be silent. Selah. It is amazing how often it is the case that David finds himself in a situation where people are angry at him. Possibly it's because David made them angry. Maybe he started it. Whatever the case, he now feels that he's being falsely accused. It's gone on too long. There's unrighteous anger as he sees it. Now obviously, David must have had a relationship with these people because he writes to them. And the reason he does this is because he cares for them. He's a man after God's own heart who loves his enemies enough to tell them the truth and to help them. He advises them with six commands, which if obeyed will bring peace to an unrestful heart, repentance to the one who finds himself unrighteously angry. More than likely, David has preached this to himself. He knows it works. And so now he gives it to those who are angry. First two commands are what Paul quotes in Ephesians 4:26. Be angry, do not sin. Literally in the Hebrew, tremble, quake. It describes a violent shaking and do not sin. We get a sense of the word from a statement which Joseph made to his brothers. He had, you remember, just offered. Forgiveness, he had revealed himself to them. I am Joseph. And then he forgives all. Now he's going to send them back to their father. And this is what he says, Genesis 45, 24. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, as they're leaving, don't be stirred up. Same word. No more quaking, no more trembling. Don't be stirred up on your journey. What's he saying there? Don't be angry. Be at rest. Give it over. He knew his brothers had a tendency of quarreling and anger, and possibly on the way back they might say, listen, I told you we shouldn't have thrown him in the pit. No, 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 no. No more of that. No more trembling in that way. Let the quarrel die, forgive, love, don't blame one another. Instead, be in all that God has somehow used all of this to bring good. David says the same to those who are angry with him. You're trembling, you're stirred up, but don't sin. Don't sin. He then goes on to give some more commands to help them achieve that. He says in the second part of verse 4, ponder in your own beds on your own hearts, in your bed, and be silent. Be silent. The great Puritan commentator of the Psalms, William S. Plummer, writes this, the great difficulty with an angry wrongdoer is that they will not stop and consider. That they will not stop and ask their own conscience, am I right before the Lord? And the reason this is so hard to do when you're angry is because Anger is always in response to a perceived evil. And thus, our anger is always justified in our own eyes. This is right. We tend to always think our anger is righteous or else we wouldn't do it. But the question is, is it? And you know what David realizes? This is so wise. He can't show him that. They need to ask themselves the question. Maybe he learned this from Nathan the prophet. I mean, Nathan could have come and said, listen, David, you're in sin. But instead, he tells this story, which causes David to ask himself the question, am I that man? Am I in sin? Ponder upon your beds in your own hearts. Think on truth. Get your eyes off me yourself. And think about what's going on in your own heart from God's perspective. And then be silent. Or literally in the Hebrew, be still. Be still. And if you read it in the Hebrew, Psalm 4 reads like this. Be trembling and do not sin. Speak to your hearts on your bed. Be motionless. No more quaking. What would cause them to be motionless? It is the discovery that they are in sin before the Lord. And again, perhaps David had this same discovery. It stopped it for David. It's the knowledge that while they have been angry at their brother, the Lord has been angry at them. Be motionless. Be silent. God is on his throne looking down. You've heard that it was said, To those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with who? His brother. Everyone, whether you think you're righteous or not, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. If you want to sober up real quick from your anger, Ask yourself this question. Honestly, what does God think? What does he think of my anger? What does God think of my contempt for my brother? Stop putting your brother on trial and instead put yourself on trial. And see how you do before the Lord. Be silent. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Ponder these things on your bed. Be motionless, be still. And then just in case they had not got it, it just throws in a say law. Which is to say, no more singing, stop, pause. Carefully weigh the meaning of what you have just sung. Let it sink in, Selah. Four commands here. To help bring the angry to a place of repentance. Tremble, do not sin, ponder on your bed, be still. Were David's enemies to follow this, they would be led to put off their own sin. Repentant. Repentance is not just a matter of putting off. It always includes putting on. And so he goes on and gives two more commands. Offer right sacrifices, Psalm 4, 5, and put your trust in the Lord. Offer right sacrifices, those that please the Lord. And in other words, by implication here, they had been offering sacrifices, but they weren't right. They weren't pleasing to the Lord. Matthew 5 situation, there they are at the altar offering sacrifices. And Jesus says, stop. What are right sacrifices? The first is the sacrifice of true humility and repentance. Psalm 51, 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He will always be pleased with a humble, broken heart that sacrifices to him. And the second is the sacrifice of love. Put off the hate. Put on love. We find this in the context of Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love, Paul says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. A right sacrifice. It's love. Offer right sacrifices. Repent and love. And then David says, one more command put your trust in the lord put your trust in the lord this is not easy there are some here today i guarantee you who have been sinned against in a great way and you want justice what david is saying don't take that into your own hands put Your trust in the Lord. And we read it in Psalm 110. He is coming and he will execute his judgment in full. Every wrong will be made right. Put your trust in him. This is not easy. If you are unrighteously angry this morning, perhaps it started out as righteous anger. But it has gotten out of the fireplace. If that is you, know this, consider this. You are in a very dangerous place. The Lord may be angry at you. It doesn't matter who started it. The question is, where do you stand before the Lord? Be silent. Consider this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And yet, before you are overwhelmed by the thought that God's holy and righteous wrath is at this very moment directed and pointed right at you, also know this, there is still time to right the wrong through repentance. His anger has not canceled out His love. It burns within a heart of perfect love. God's righteous anger is also Righteously loving. And thus, at this very moment, God is seeking to save you from His wrath through the refuge of His Son. God's anger is directed at you, but it can and will be redirected towards Christ if you will repent. Trust in the salvation He has provided. Trust in Christ's ability to right all the wrongs. Jesus Christ died, therefore, let your anger die. Let him avenge the wrong, not you. Vengeance is his. Trust him. Be at rest. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Maybe that's what you were after. It does not produce it. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Where did that come from? It came from anger. And instead, receive with meekness, a brokenness, a humility, the implanted word. There's our sure guide. Put the anger back in the fireplace, which is able to save your souls. Offer right sacrifices. Repent and put on love instead and put your trust in the Lord. But I cannot let it go. It's been with me so long. A wrong has been done. There must be justice. My restless friend, be at rest. There will be in the end perfect justice. Let it go. Let it go. Be at rest in God's perfect ability to right every wrong. He has promised he will do it. Romans twelve nineteen. vengeance is mine. Here's the promise I will repay, says the Lord. Be at rest. This is what David wants for those who are angry. He wants them to know the kind of peace that comes from trusting in God's justice. Look how he ends the psalm, Psalm 4, 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Here is a psalm with quaking and trembling. David says, I've applied this to myself. I'm at peace. I am resting. There's no movement of soul here. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of God. Ponder in your hearts on your bed. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Love him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, or by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. To do that would let anger run out of control, but instead overcome evil with good, with righteous anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Instead, trust the Lord by doing what is right. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Love as he has loved you. And trust justice to him. Romans 12, 9, let your love for one another be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would write these truths on all of our hearts. Lord, that you would keep our anger in a place that pleases you. Lord, that produces the kind of righteousness that you are able to use. Father, all of us today stand not before one another, but before you. Father, as we stand before you, we are aware that there are is anger, has been anger, will be anger. But Lord, help us not to sin. Lord, if there be any hint in any of us of anger that is not right before you, bring us to a place of brokenness and repentance before you. Father, we take our refuge in your Son and how joyful we are, thankful we are to know That your anger, which is righteously and justly pointed at us, has fallen on your son. He has absorbed it all. And now we know your love. Help us, Father, to walk in this love. We pray in your son's great name. Amen.